Welcome or welcome back to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories. This week's guest, Juliana Hever, is a superstar. She has her master's degree, she's a registered dietitian, and she specializes in weight management, disease prevention and management, and also sports nutrition. So for you, all of you athletes out there who have been looking for a plant-based dietitian to work with if you're looking to make a transition, she is your gal. She is amazing. She's been on the Dr. Oz show. She's been on the Steve Harvey show. She's been on E! News. She has her own wellness talk show series called What Would Juliana Do on Z Living Network. She has done a TED Talk and she's written a couple of books. The Complete Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition is her first book and there is a second edition coming out in January. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes and I highly recommend that book. And also The Vegetarian Diet, and that's the most recent book that I finished reading, and we talk about that a little bit on the show. I've been following Juliana on social media for a while, and I just really love her energy, and I love the diversity of topics that she brings up. And something that's really interesting that we got into for a little bit in the show is oxidative priority. And I'll put a link in the show notes to that because that's the first that I've heard of it, and I think you guys will be really interested in it as well. It always motivates me to speak with all these great people in the plant-based movement. And it's a huge privilege having a podcast that I get to speak to such awesome people. And in the show, we talk about the power of community and how important it is to surround yourself with people who are doing the same things as you, not only for plant-based nutrition, but for other things as well. But if you're looking to to join a community about plant-based nutrition, I invite you guys to join my Facebook group, The Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney. It's free. You don't even have to eat a plant-based diet to join it. It's just a fun environment where we can talk about what we're eating and what we're doing and share fun recipes. A lot of times people ask me on social media when I post a picture or a video and Instagram stories of my food, they're looking for the recipe. So I'm trying to be better about posting my recipes in the Plant Powered Tribe. Huge thanks, huge props to you guys who are contributing to my show on Patreon, a crowdfunding website. I really appreciate the financial support. There's a lot of behind the scenes action and work that go into the show and every dollar helps. So thank you very much. And thank you for your emails. It really does help me stay motivated. And it's awesome knowing that this show is bringing value to you guys. And if there's anything I'm not covering, something maybe that you would prefer to hear about or something that you don't like, please tell me because this show is for you guys. But that's enough for me. Let's get into it with Juliana Hever. She's so fun. She's full of energy. Let's go. Hey, Juliana. Hi, Sonia. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I've been following you for a while online, and I love all the different social media articles that you post, especially on Twitter. Thank you. Yeah, my friend Brenda Davis, who was guest number two on the show, recommended you and said that I should have you on. So I looked you up and I saw that you had a book that just came out. Well, yeah, I had a book. The last book came out. It's actually been a couple of years, but I have a new one coming in January. So I'm excited about that. Oh, what's the new book? So the new one, the one you read was Vegetarian. That was a couple years ago. But the new one is my very first book was The Complete Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. And it came out in 2011 and it did really, really well for the publishers and did really well altogether. And people were just really excited about the content, but it's been a while and so much has changed. And they asked me to do a rewrite and I was thrilled because I, there was so much more I wanted to put in. And I brought along my business partner and co-author now, Ray Cronite 
nice. And we were able to integrate some really exciting, like cutting edge stuff on metabolism and weight loss and health span and longevity. And it's like a completely different book. So I'm really excited for this to come out. I think it's going to be a game changer. Wow, that sounds really cool. Like a lot of times you don't really hear about metabolism and in vegetarian, there was a chapter that was about calories in, calories out. And my personal experience, especially as an athlete, is that not all calories are created equal. And like I could exercise for 20 hours in a week and still gain weight if I'm eating higher fat or processed food. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, that's what's so interesting is what Ray has written about is called oxidative priority. And I think that answers all of these questions that we have about metabolism. It absolutely, it's it's what you eat. It's also how much you eat. It's how frequently you eat and all that. But this oxidative priority um, little area was new to me. And this is what, you know, where our kind of messages synergized and came together. And I'm really excited about this because it helped me lose my last, I've been the same weight my whole life, except for my two pregnancies. And when I started implementing this whole concept of oxidative priority, I was able to shed 12 pounds and keep it off for over a year now. But it's the whole interesting part about it is if you think about food in terms of how much volume we can store it, as opposed to calories and energy density, it's a completely different concept. So if you think about, for instance, alcohol, you know, alcohol is toxic to our system. So our body instantly prioritizes it and burns it off. And then the next thing after that would be amino acids. Our body can burn amino acids. And then after that, carbohydrates, carbohydrates can go out of our system really easily as well, because we could store up to about 1500, 2000 calories worth of glycogen in our bodies worth of from carbohydrates. But fat is just really super easy to store. We could store unlimited quantities of it. And, you know, we can just pack on tons and tons of fat. So if you look at it from that perspective, it changes your mindset of how we look at food and how we look at a meal. And he actually wrote an amazing paper on this that I highly recommend you and your listeners check out. It's if you go to bit.ly forward slash oxidative priority, you can get all the science geeky, fascinating stuff on this. And it just kind of explains all of that and how we use food in a very different way, depending on the nutrients. Yeah, that's super interesting because... It's funny because a lot of people think that, oh, well, if you're eating a plant-based diet, it's going to be hard to put on muscle or to gain weight and you're going to just get really skinny and shrivel up and disappear. But, you know, my husband and I both eat plant-based and we don't have problems with being too skinny. We have problems with always having to monitor how much we weigh because of a fat intake. And like we like nut butters and seeds and avocado and we like chocolate and Even if you're eating a mostly whole foods plant-based diet, if you prioritize too much fat, it's easy to get more than 30% fat in your diet if you're not paying attention. Well, so that's where oxidative priority kind of changes things because there's nothing wrong with fat. We need some fat and sources of fat matter more than the number per se. So if you're saying nuts and seeds and nut butters and avocados, those are wonderful, nutrient dense, fabulous foods that we need. So the way to do it and using oxidative priority is to think about, so we use now this, it's called the food triangle. I wish I could show you an image of this. I'll have to send it to you. But um, if you want to incorporate, you know, some of those fats, the best way to do that in the most calorically sound way, or the best way to avoid gaining weight, you would eat it with the more calorically light food. So like having a big salad and then putting your nut based dressing or your seed based dressing on it, because then the fat is not going to get absorbed so much because there's not that many calories in all that salad, if that makes sense. So like basically you'll go through the salad easily. There's not that many calories. And then you could use some of that fat and you won't necessarily store it. So instead of doing like a fat with a high starch 
it's, it's easier to show you this with the visual, but putting fat together with the starch, it's going to be easier to store that fat. So how we combine foods, it's a different way of thinking of food combining also can affect how much fat we absorb and how much, you know, we, we utilize, but yeah, you're right. The myth about, you know, going on a plant-based diet and, oh, you're going to magically lose all the weight, no matter what you could eat as much as you want, or that you're going to wither away. Like there's so much mythology surrounding a plant-based diet. And I'm so glad that you're out there showing that that's just simply not true. And there's just lots and lots of athletes and, you know, really super healthy people that are demonstrating that, you know, there's lots of ways to do this. Yeah. And that also brings me to the the concept and the point of omega-3 versus omega-6. And a lot of times people don't really think about it. They just think of it as fat or omegas, or they think, oh, well, I need to take a fish oil supplement to get my omega-3s, but you can get lots of omega-3s from plant sources. And I think that finding balance between those omega-3s and omega-6s is important. So can you talk about the difference between the two and how to find the right ratio and what the best plant-based foods are to get omega-3s? Yeah, it's an important question. And I think we're still in the beginning of understanding the extent of this with respect to people that are eating an exclusively plant-based diet. But I always refer to Brenda Davis as the fatty acid queen because I've been you know, following her guidance on these recommendations because it isn't so new, this information. But basically, there's two fats that we are required in our diet. There's only two essential fats. And those are the polyunsaturated fats, both omega-3 and omega-6. We don't need saturated fat. We don't need monounsaturated fat. The only fats that are essential are omega-3 and omega-6 fats. Now, you know, omega-3s and omega-6 omega especially is really easy to find in the plant world. It's pretty much everywhere. It's in every, especially vegetable oils, but it's in most plant foods. <clears throat> Omega-3s, on the other hand, are only found in one form, ALA, alpha linolenic acid. And those are found, you can find those in chia seeds and hemp seeds and flax seeds and walnuts and soy foods and, you know, some leafy greens. But the problem is, here's where the question is. Omega-3, the ALA form needs to be converted. In our body, it gets elongated into EPA and then EPA gets elongated into DHA. And without getting too crazy chemistry about this, but we need all three of these forms for different reasons in our body. Now, when people eat fish, they're eating, you know, the second generation, like the fish had already eaten the microalgae in the water and, you know, they, they accumulated the omega-3 fats and converted into the EPA and DHA already. And then you consume it directly from them and you're getting those long chain fats. But if you're getting it from just the ALA from a plant source, your body still needs to convert. And what we've seen is that in long-term vegans, in our blood, we don't have as much of those longer chain fats. Now, does that mean we need more of those or maybe we don't need them because we're on a plant-based diet, but we really just don't know. And, you know, even though vegans tend to have decreased incidence of cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's disease and all these things that have been associated with omega-3 fats, better handling of inflammation, all of that, we still don't know if we need to have more. So because I actually was influenced initially by Brenda, I do recommend either doubling your ALA recommendations, but even better, I'm recommending my clients, especially pregnant and breastfeeding clients and pretty much everyone now to take a microalgae formula. So it's a plant-based long chain omega-3 fatty acid supplement. So that's EPA and DHA, but from a plant source as opposed to fish oil. So can you recommend like a brand because there's so many different supplement companies out there and it's hard to verify which ones are highly reputable and which ones are just selling you basically nothing. 
I know. You know what the sad part, Sonia, is that there's no way to verify any of this unless you go and take it to a lab. And, you know, there's ways to use like the NSA symbol. Like the, there's a couple symbols on bottles that like a third party verification. But I never like to recommend brands specifically unless I'm actually sitting there and testing them. And if you look at consumer reports and they go out and randomly test supplements off the shelves and it's never what it says on the label. So I hesitate, but I mean, there's two omega-3 plant-based formulas that I know of. I'm sure there's more, but I just, I just, I take one called Ovega-3. Um, there's another one called Diva, D-E-V-A. And I, I haven't tested them personally. I just, that's just one that I've, you know, it is third-party certified and I know that it's microalgae. So those are the ones that I've been recommending. Okay, so you think that people should look for like an NSA symbol on a supplement as one way to say, okay, this one might actually have something good in it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you never know exactly what it is based on the label. Like there's could be fillers. And I mean, I just like to minimize recommendations on supplements because you don't really know unless you're testing it. But yeah, I mean, that's one way to, you know, help support the possibility that it's more pure than if it didn't have that certification. Okay. Yeah. And on the topic of food combining, so you mentioned for oxidative priority, you can pair fats with lighter calorie foods. A lot of people constantly ask me about making a complete protein. And I've read lots of things saying that that's a myth, but then sometimes I hear the odd thing come up saying that, no, you actually do have to combine foods. So can you elaborate on that? Yeah, that is an absolute myth that was never corroborated. It started in like a 19... Uh, what was it, 1970s kind of Vogue magazine, I think. And then it was perpetuated in Frances Moore LePay's book, Diet for a Small Planet. And then she retracted that statement because it's just, it's just not true. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't eat protein. We eat amino acids and we only need a few amino acids and they're abundant in the food supply. So you don't need to, you know, our bodies are way smarter than having to have our proteins put together. And, you know, our bodies deconstruct them once they go into the mouth anyway. Once you go into the stomach, everything comes apart, goes into the body, gets digested, you know, and then we pull what we need. We string them together as needed. And there's no reason to ever concern yourself with getting specific amino acids. And what our, our latest stuff that we're really focusing on and that, that's going to come out in the new Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition is, you know, with HealthSpan, if you look at HealthSpan and longevity and all of the research that we know so far, and there's quite a bit and it's growing, the only way we've ever been able to extend HealthSpan and longevity is through amino acid restriction. It's dietary restriction without malnutrition, but specifically it looks like you can give credit to those essential amino acids. So the only way we've ever extended life is actually by limiting essential amino acids, which is contrary to everything people are completely obsessed with now in terms of getting enough protein. You know, like there's this obsession with protein. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so with um, the complete idiot's guide to plant-based nutrition, I want to hear what made you want to write the book and then what made you choose to, to make it the complete idiot's guide because titles and and that whole thing is always really difficult for me. And I am always really curious to hear of people's ideas and how they move forward in those directions. Well, that one literally landed in my lap. So I've always wanted to write a book. You know, most people want to write a book, but I have fantasized about it my whole life. And then literally when I got into the plant-based community and started speaking and uh, the agent found me and said, hey, we're looking for someone to write the complete idiot's guide to vegan nutrition. And I, you know, I wrote up the t table contents. I basically worked to get that job and they hired me and I was ecstatic, but it was, yeah, it was part of the Idiot's Guide brand, but it was an amazing way to learn how to write a book because it's all, you know, they've, you've got like a template on, 
you know, the formatting. So it's just, it's basically, you just fill in the content. And it was like, I had six weeks to write it. It was insane. I've never, never, and I had two little kids at the time. It was so insane. So I actually, and then midway through, I was really wanting to get away from the word vegan in terms of this book, because it was really a nutrition book and it wasn't about the ideology and plant-based. The term was just really coming to light when I was writing this. And it was like 2010. And I petitioned and did a whole thing to change the title to plant-based nutrition. And my agent said it never happened to her before where someone that someone was able to change a title of a book midway through public uh, writing it. So uh, that was exciting. So we got to change. And I think that was really a good thing because, you know, that that term and the concept has really taken off. And I think people are just really excited because it doesn't have to be all about the ideology. It can be, it's really just about health. And this was really about health and nutrition. So that's how that book happened. That's amazing that you wrote that book in six weeks because I, I write lots of feature articles for magazines and just they, they usually give you a month deadline just to write a fe- like a, a 2000 word feature story. So six weeks for a book is wow, that's that's amazing. It was insane. And I mean, literally I had, I was at my computer cause I had these two little kids. So four o'clock in the morning, I was typing away at my computer and it was, it was so crazy. The worst part was then I had five days to add 50 pages and edit the whole book. <laughs> I mean, like my life stopped and that was what I was doing. So that was crazy. So you mentioned you have two kids. So did they grow up eating plant-based and were you plant-based while you were pregnant? Uh, this is a sore subject for me. Oh. I wanted them to be plant-based. I started them plant-based. I went completely, I was on the, the journey of it during the pregnancies. I wasn't completely plant-based through my pregnancies, but when I first had them, that's when I was plant-based and completely mm-hmm. And I started that process, but I have an ex-husband who completely diminished this whole thing. And it's, it's a whole awful, awful story that I haven't really shared yet publicly because I'm going through a really tough time with this because I want them to eat this way. This is everything to me. And when they're with me, let's just, suffice it to say that when they're with me at my home, that's what they eat. They eat whole plant foods. Yeah, it's a really interesting topic because people often say, well, I'm eating plant-based, but my spouse doesn't want to, or I can't get my 10-year-old to eat this. So I think that that is a common, like, I don't know what the details of the, the actual story are, but people having difficulty getting their entire family to make the switch is a reality. And people that have an entire plant-based family are really lucky. I know. I've actually recently met a couple of families and seen the way they interact with their children and how they've been lifelong, you know, completely plant-based and they love certain vegetables. And it just, it makes me so sad because this is what I wanted. I mean, like I'm so passionate about this. I've been doing health and nutrition and fitness for 23 years. So it was like everything in my life and your children are everything to you. And you just want them to have the best. You know, I'm literally working with families around the world. Like my clients are kids and parents and families and spouses trying to get spouses. And, you know, and I help people and their families all the time. But the fact that I couldn't do that because I had such a horrible situation at my house. I mean, it was, it was fine for a while and it was like the struggle and we did it. And, you know, it just, you can't fight the hyper palatable, awful culture that's out there, which is, you know, the fast food and the sugars and the candies and everyone throwing food at your children. And especially if your spouse or ex-spouse is doing it on purpose and like, you know, filling the house with junk food that, you know, I mean, 
God, my ex is a doctor and he's still giving my children just junk food. It's just, it's crazy. And then they're eating that junk food. And of course, then they come to mommy's and mommy has, you know, healthy food and it doesn't taste as palatable when their, their palate is literally escalated to these really abnormal heights because of the sugar and the oils and all the salts and all the garbage that they're being inundated with. It's, it's awful. And I've seen this in so many families where it's easy to ameliorate because, you know, the, they work together to make it happen. And so everyone's happy and the children are exposed to this delicious, healthy food and it becomes part of the lifestyle. And I think everyone, if they're willing, you can absolutely have peace in the kitchen and people can all end up to a real nice compromise. Unfortunately, I did not have that situation, but I do, I have seen it happen. So the hopeful note is I've seen this, I work with people all the time that this happens and people are able to coexist and, and enjoy eating this way together as a family. Yeah, I'm really sorry that that happened in your family. Thank you. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's a, a good point though, that like when people first switch their diet, it might seem that spinach doesn't taste as good as what they're used to eating because they're eating processed foods or, or things that have lots of just junk stuff that's not even real food in it, chemicals and, and, and sugar and those types of things. And whenever you don't eat as much of that stuff, spinach tastes different and fruit actually tastes different to you. Oh my gosh, seriously. I mean, I've done this now. I've worked with, I don't know, probably thousands of people at this point over the last 12 years, specifically in plant-based, but myself included. So I could personally attest to going from a cookie, chocolate chip cookies specifically, and ice cream junkie to not wanting anything to do with dessert. And that just happened naturally. Like right now to me, candy is a big sweet potato. You know, I, I didn't have any dessert on Thanksgiving. Instead, I had, you know, like the cranberry relish, the berry relish that was all fruit it was so sweet for me that it just, it's amazing how much my palate has evolved. And I see this with my clients all the time. It just, we have trained our palates, you know, to have that dopamine hit you know, we get this amazing dopamine hit from all those really super sweet things and super fatty things. And we're just so used to that, that when you start stripping that away, all of a sudden food tastes like food again. And it's pretty magical, not to be dramatic, but it really is quite, quite dramatic and quite magical. So do you think you need to be all or none in order to be able to, because for me, I'm always kind of on the roller coaster. Like I like having dark chocolate, like vegan dark chocolate, or occasionally I'll, I'll do like a vegan baked good, but it's not something I eat every day. And like, I put maple syrup in my oatmeal, but I, sometimes I find that the addiction is still there and I still, I, I don't eat it as much, but I still want the other stuff. Oh yes, that's exactly it. And that was my, my journey was very slow, but some people just have to go all the way. It just depends on the person. It's true. The more you have, the more you want. And that's human nature. Like we are adapted to want to eat the most hyper palatable, hyper caloric foods, you know, for survival. And so it's, it's like in our DNA to want more. And if you are, you know, like you, you're athletic and you're lean and you're healthy and you're fit, then, you know, and you're able to temper it, then you're fine. But for people that can't, and a lot of people, most people I work with, I mean, you know, almost, what is it? 70% now of the U S population are overweight or obese. You know, most people are not able to stop that and not able to control it. And so that's when, you know, a more dramatic intervention which is what we do with just size. We have a real dramatic intervention, a, basically a complete intervention and cut it out. And then it's easier. And then you don't want it. And it's like, it's more, your taste buds will adjust. It takes about three weeks for most people, um, give or take, but you could do it really dramatically and quickly. Just cut it off, you know, cold tofu, cold turkey, or you can just, <laughs> You could wean yourself. And I personally was able to wean myself, but it took me a long time. And like I said, I had 10 extra pounds sticking around for years that I finally was able to get rid of once I was off of all those foods. 
but it depends on, depends on your situation. And you mentioned in your book, Vegetarian, that you used to be like an actress and that you were trying to get lean for your job and living in LA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles. I was a dancer from age four. I think I danced before I walked. And then I was, you know, my dance teachers at age 10 would say in front of the class, Julie, cut out your snacks. Oh. And then I know it's like, it's so LA and so, you know, dancer actress world. And then as an actress, you know, as an, and I went to an arts high school and I was, you know, going on auditions and had agents and they were like, Oh, well, if you just lost a few pounds and it was, Oh, so I was on every diet, you know, I tried everything. And that's really how I became fascinated by nutrition. I like read every diet, tried every diet, wanted to know everything. And, um, you know, and I was able to lose weight, but I was miserable. Like I remember the one time I got to the weight that I am actually was a little more than I am now. And I remember I, I was starving. I had acne. I was so grumpy. Like no one wanted to be with me. And I was doing like, I think it was like some kind of, it was like protein and veggies. So it was like chicken and egg whites and veggies. And that was it. And it just was awful. It was torture. And now it's like, I eat really big quantities of delicious food. I feel great. No acne. My skin is clearer than ever. And, you know, my labs are amazing and I've been able to keep the weight off. So it's been quite a journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's important to say that it's about sustainability too. Cause like no one can sustain on that diet and not go absolutely insane. And with a plant-based diet, it's not just like a diet that you do to lose weight. It's like, this is going to be either a hundred percent this way or just trending in this direction for the rest of your life. And looking good is a, an awesome, an awesome benefit, but really the major benefits are what's happening underneath the skin and what's happening in there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the outside is just like a reflection of what's going on inside. It's just, it's beautiful. I can't tell you, I, you know, so like I said, I was doing personal training and nutrition before I went plant-based and my clients would not have to raise their medication dose on their next visit to the doctor or their labs didn't get worse or maybe they would lose a couple pounds or all of that. But when I switched to doing plant-based with my clients, the outcomes were literally night and day. People get off medications. It happens within days. It's like things like asthma, lifelong asthma, lifelong eczema, lifelong, you know, being on a CPAP for 20 years. I mean, just these things that you don't even think can be reversed, get reversed by switching to a plant-based diet. It is the most powerful thing I've ever witnessed in my life. And it happens every day. Yeah. And there's so many amazing stories about it, but the, I think one of the problems is that people aren't willing to make a, a drastic change until something bad happens. And I think it's hard to change our habits around eating, but it's so important. Like, why would you wait until you have a heart attack or until you're unhealthy to say, well, maybe I should start paying attention to this stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I think people think they're invincible. Most people think they're invincible until they see something happen to someone close to them or until they have an experience like that, or they get a diagnosis or a symptom. And then it's like, you know, the humanity comes back and it's, it's like a wake up call. But I think a big, another gap that I see really dangerous in the medical community too, is that even though they see an illness or whatever, then they still, a lot of people don't want to believe, maybe they just like, la la la, don't tell me. They don't think that diet is really related. And it's still shocking because there's so, it's like beyond evident in, in the research. There's no question. It's been hundreds of thousands of years we've known it, but I mean, really well documented uh, that that diet is direct, you know, the most, in fact, now diet is number one cause of early death and disability, at least in the United States. So I just, I, even though when people get a diagnosis, I just, I want to encourage people to explore this because you can't deny what happens. Like if you try it and you see what happens to your body and you see how you can reverse these conditions, you know, you'll see how powerful it is. 
But, um, you know, a lot of doctors are like, oh, it has nothing to do with diet. Let me give you your prescription and see you next month. You know, I, I see that a lot. And that that's something that I'm hoping changes. Yeah. And I think the compensation around that too, because doctors, I live in Canada now, but I'm originally from the States and doctors are compensated when they prescribe a drug. Well, not always. I mean, it depends. I guess it depends on what kind of situation. But the other problem, like I said, my ex-husband is a doctor and I sat in on his, his medical school nutrition classes <laughs> and they're not taught nutrition. Their, their extent of nutrition education is oh, I have a goiter. Okay. That's an iodine deficiency. Oh, you see rickets. That's a D deficiency. And that's the really extent of their nutrition education. And it's all about prescription. That's what they are taught is how to look, diagnose and prescribe. And, you know, whether you work for a big organization that they don't benefit, like for instance, Kaiser Permanente, uh, I published a, an article in that, in their journal last summer, they are, you know, they're really into a lot of people, a lot of buzz. They are trying to get plant-based implemented because they insure their patients. So it's in their best interest for their patients to be healthy because then they save money. So there are, that's, and that's a big system too. So there's a lot of systems like that as well. So they don't necessarily get comp, but they don't want, they don't make money from prescribing. It's just that they don't have any other tools in their armamentarium to be able to push to the next level and start talking about nutrition. And that's where I think healthcare needs to go and can save billions and billions and billions of dollars every year, like 70 to 80% of healthcare could be solved by changing to lifestyle medicine and, and implementing diet and lifestyle changes in their patients. Yeah. Like people won't have to worry as much about health insurance rates going up. And if, if you eat a plant-based diet, cause you actually won't need to go to the doctor. Like I've been sick once in four years since I changed my diet. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Like it, it really, it really shows. And it's really cool because I've gotten to meet more and more people who eat plant-based and some of them are in their fifties and sixties. And you would never think that they were in their fifties and sixties based on what the standard American looks like at that age. Like they, even their skin, like there's, they're not all wrinkled up. I know it's true. It's so true. I see that all the time too. It's kind of like you said, an extra side effect, a nice bonus. Yeah. And I mean, it would be crazy to ignore the fact that our society is obsessed with outward appearance. That's why there's all these anti-aging pills and creams and all these things. And like people are obsessed with weight loss. Like our entire advertising is about that. So a really easy way to do it is just to, to change your diet or just to eat more fruits and vegetables, eat more colors of the, the natural rainbow. And it will affect your outward appearance if, if that is something that you are really paying attention to and, and want to improve on. Absolutely. I mean, there's even a study, I don't know if you saw the study on carotenoids and attractiveness, and they were actually people were rated on attractiveness based on the color of their skin, based on how much orange is like, you know, you get a little bit of orange from the carotenoids, like a, the orange, red and yellow fruits and vegetables. So people that eat a lot of them have more of like an orange undertone in their skin. And the more of that orange undertone, the healthier they look and the more attractive they were rated. So it's kind awesome. of an interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to talk about your book. I know it's a couple years old, The Vegetarian Diet, but that one, I was excited to read it because people keep telling me like, oh, the Mediterranean diet's healthy and they eat fish and meat and all these things. So I'd love to kind of go through your take on the vegetarian slash Mediterranean diet and talk about the meats and then also talk about olive oil and wine. Yes. So here I am witnessing people having major transformations with their health. And all I want to talk about is plant-based, plant-based. And then every year, you know, like U.S. News has the rankings of the best diets. And everyone always talks about the Mediterranean diet as the gold standard. So I was like, well, wait a second. If this is the gold standard, but look at what I'm seeing in the plant-based research, 
what's going on? And so I, that's the whole, that was why I wanted to write that book. And by the way, you asked about books and that was the first book I picked a title and hunted it down because my other, all three other books are idiots guides. So this was my only non idiots guide book, by the way. But so I wanted to go to the depths of the Mediterranean and figure this all out. And so I started back in Greece and I kind of traced it all the way through. And then where it really gets popularized is from Ansel Key's work, which was like really 60s, 70s, 80s. And it's just, it's remained considered the gold standard. And so what I realize is that, you know, people kind of think, oh, Mediterranean diet, I could just pour olive oil all over my dish and it'll be great. Or I could just have a glass of red wine with dinner and I'll be fine. Uh, or it's fish. So those are the three things that people really kind of associate with the Mediterranean diet benefits. But really, if you look at it and I pick it all apart and I can go into details if you want, but the real reasons that a Mediterranean diet is so successful and has shown so much potential over the years is that it is mostly a whole food plant-based diet, first and foremost. It is, you know, it talks about active lifestyles, all that social stuff, the stuff that we read about in the blue zones. People ate delicious, healthy food, like whole foods, you know, with whole plant foods and people cooked and had dinners together. And, you know, food was, a, it's, you know, wasn't like rushed and fast food and processed food like we're doing mostly now. And I mean, those are, and then also synergy, I talk about synergy too, being, you know, the reactions between like when you're eating a whole food and certain things talk about food combining, you know, if you eat carotenoids, you want to have some fat so you can absorb the carotenoids and stuff like that. So all I, I just put together five principles that I saw as the real reason the Mediterranean diet is so successful. And it's not just fish, wine, and olive oil. Yeah. So like, where did this thing about olive oil come from? Because I used to be that person that dumped olive oil. Like before I changed my diet, I just by default ate more of a Mediterranean diet, not because I thought, oh, I'm going to eat this way to be healthy. It's just kind of what I liked, but I would put olive oil on everything. Like X, like I lost weight when I changed my diet because I cut out olive oil. And I, I don't know why people think that it's this magical superfood because we keep hearing about it when you read a magazine or whatever. So everyone thinks olive oil is this amazing thing. So like, why did it get elevated to that status? Because they consume a lot of olive oil in the Mediterranean. I mean, it was part of their diet. And if you look at the earlier research, you know, the original research, they were looking at like in Crete and war-torn Crete. And this is like post-World War II and, you know, it was ravaged nation. And these people, you know, didn't have transportation or anything. So they grew olives. And then the only way to preserve the olives, you know, they would turn into olive oil. And in order, and because they were, you know, limited on food, the food was scarce, like in most periods of history. And so olive oil substantiated their diet and it was offered a way to have year long sources of calorie. So I think that, you know, it's been translated in different ways and olive oil is not bad for you, but it's by no means a miracle food. It's not, not at all necessary. And, you know, and I have no problem with people using olive oil, but, you know, the, like I said, the majority of clients that come to me need to lose weight or are trying to lose weight and lower their cholesterol. So the easiest way I see to doing so is to limit or eliminate these oils. All oils are just pure fat. You know, if you think about just a half a cup, which is really easy to glug onto a salad, half a cup of oil is a thousand calories. And that's, that's a significant amount of calories for a day. And so I just recommend people omit it or at least, you know, very much restricted if they're trying to lose weight or lower their cholesterol. But it is by no means, it's not an evil food, but it's also, there's no miracle associated with it. It was just a good source of stored calories for them to have when they were in times of scarcity. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because it's best for me to not eat olive oil, to cut it out as much as I can on my diet personally. And everybody's different, but 
a lot of times people think that you can't just cut it out of a recipe, but I make a lot of sauces where the recipe will say, put in olive oil and I'll just take it out. And like, you can't tell the difference and oil doesn't really have a really strong flavor, but olives do. So sometimes I'll just add in some olives just for the flavor. Right. And you know, and that's true. And I mean, I've been doing oil. I was doing completely oil free for years, but I just dived into olive oil again for, um, I did a big lecture on vegetarian recently and I kind of went back into the research because it had been a couple of years. So I've been doing oil free for many, many years and it's so easy, you know, stir frying with vegetable broth or water. And I make, yeah, I make sauces and dressings. Either I just omit it or I add, you know, if you need like for the silky factor, you could use like silken tofu or a plant-based yogurt. Oh, there's so many substitutes that it's absolutely easy. I mean, I bake without oil with, I use like pumpkin puree or sweet potato puree, or, you know, you could, there's so many ways to sub oils in all types of cooking and baking. But the other side of that is if you're not, you know, you're not worried about losing weight, you're not worried about your cholesterol, or you just really want a little bit of the flavor, like for instance, sesame oil, it does impart a really strong flavor in food. What you can do is cook your food and then put a couple drops of sesame oil at the end and spray it all over, you know, and spread it all over and you get the flavor with only, you know, a couple drops. So there's ways to use it in very small portions. So you get, you can have, you know, that when you're craving it or, you know, if it's something you want, but you don't need it. And you, and it's very easy to learn how to cook without it. Yeah. Sesame oil definitely does have a strong flavor, but I think, yeah, there's lots of ways that you can add flavor. And I, I actually got the no meat athletes cookbook and he has a lot of really great suggestions on what you can add in instead of oil as well. Yes. And, and yeah, like I'm not anti-fat and I think you can get lots of fat just from your food. So that's why like I get 25 to 30% of my diet from fat without even adding oil into my diet. So Yes. Yeah, it's easy to get enough fat. We don't need a lot of fat and it's much more fun and much more palatable to get it from, yeah, nuts and seeds and avocados and, and it's easy to get more than enough. So you're, you're right. And it just depends on what your goals are. So yeah, I want to ask you about bloating because a lot, yeah. of people, a lot of people tell me, cause I eat a lot of beans and legumes and people have resistance to adding that into their diet because they'll get bloating. And sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. So like, why is that? Well, okay. The first reason this is extremely common. Almost, I think everyone has some kind of response when they're shifting. So if you're going from, I mean, if you think about, if you go back in history and look at like, you know, paleo diets or whatever, they were consuming hundred grams of fiber a day, more than 150 grams of fiber a day in I'm, so, I'm sorry, I keep talking about the U.S. because I just know my U.S. statistics better than Canada. But in the U.S., we are not even like it's only 3% of the population that's getting the minimum recommended dietary fiber. And that's like 14 grams per 1,000 calories. So people are getting, I don't know, one-fifth, what, 20%, 15% of what we used to get and what's and and not even that because that's, that's people, the 3% that are making those minimum recommended intakes. Fiber is so important. It's one of the most important nutrients of all, and it's exclusive to plants. So I could just talk about fiber really quickly. It's so important. It's so important for your immune system. It's so important for that gut microbiota. And so for your, your whole, all your immune system and for your cardiovascular system, it's like the most important nutrient. It just gets stuff moving. It detoxifies. It takes stuff out. You need to eat fiber and most people aren't getting enough. Now, when you start switching over and some people will go, like I said, cold tofurkey and there's all in. And all of a sudden they're going from, I don't know, 10 grams of fiber a day to like 30 or 40 grams of fiber a day. Of course you're going to respond. And if you think about that microbiome, which is, you know, all those gut bacteria, we've got 10 times the amount of gut cells, like bacterial cells as we have human cells. So we are 10 times as much bacteria as we are human. 
those cells, those bacteria change and they have their own circadian rhythm. But these guys, there's all sorts of different types of microbes that are in your gut. And, you know, some of them are pathogenic and some of them are are healthy and fiber is what feeds them. Fiber is their fuel. So you want the most health promoting microbiome and that comes from feeding them plenty of healthy fiber. And when you're not doing that, you change your microbiome. And so when you suddenly go from whatever you've been doing for all these years and add in all this fiber, your microbiome is going crazy. You're getting rid of pathogenic bacteria. Your body doesn't know how to deal with it. It's like kind of chaos probably. And it just takes time. So I argue, and I you know, encourage you, everyone, not you, but everyone out there to just stick with it. Go slowly. It's less painful to go slowly you know, I, you know, I, I want people to eat one to one and a half cups of legumes a day. It's such an important food group. And so I recommend if you aren't eating any, start with just half a cup, even a quarter of a cup and do that for a few days, but it's the consistency that counts. So every day do a quarter of a cup, a quarter cup, then build up to half a cup and half a cup and just get used to it. And you're just going to have to adjust and it takes time, but it's worthwhile going through this process and it gets better. If you're consistent, it will get better. And it's worth it because the health benefits are so profound that it's worth going through this discomfort, this discomfort, this temporary discomfort. Yeah, it's funny. I interviewed Matt Resigno on the show a while ago, and he mentioned like chewing your food more. So that's something that I've also noticed is if I don't chew enough and I'm in a rush, which is part of, you know, not rushing your meals is I'll get more gas if I don't chew my food as much. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's so funny. We were literally talking about this the other day. I've got the book on Fletcherism right here next to me, this old book from, what is it? 19 or something about chewing. And I always talk about that. And I talk about mindfulness and, you know, eating fast, you end up absorbing so much more air into your GI tract that it's a problem. And you're not extracting all those nutrients by swallowing them too fast. So chewing is hugely underrated, underappreciated, you know, we're always eating on a rush and it's an important thing to think about. I recommend people at least have at least one meal where you really sit and you really like appreciate your food and you taste it and you look at it and you experience it and you chew it as much as you can. But it takes a lot of discipline and it doesn't always work out that way. It's, you know, our lives are crazy and I mine too, but it's something to strive for and to think about. But I think the primary thing is, you know, if, if you work on that, great, but you're still going to probably experience some discomfort as you're going from any kind of diet towards a more plant you know, source diet. And just, especially when you're adding in the legumes and the cruciferous vegetables, but it really is a, it is a worthy endeavor. Awesome. Awesome. So you mentioned that you are working with your business partner and you guys are developing a lab in Alabama. Well, we have a lab, but we just are launching a lifestyle transformation company called Just Sides. So it's, it's basically, you know, taking people on these incredible journeys really extraordinary results and, you know, changing their lives. It's been really exciting. Cool. So is that mostly for people who are sick or is that something that athletes who might be interested in making a change to a plant-based diet could participate in? No, this is more what we're doing right now with the right now, because we just launched is we're focusing on people that need to lose weight. So people that need to lose usually about 40 to 60 pounds. We have people that come in that need to lose hundred pounds, 150 pounds, um, but at least 40 to 60 pounds and people that come in with diabetes and, you know, hypertension and high blood, uh, high cholesterol and all that stuff that we help work with as well. But it's, it's mostly on that. We're not really doing athletes right now. We, you know, we, I work with athletes privately in my private consult business. On, like I, I basically am, I'm nowhere. I'm everywhere. I see clients all over the world from wherever I am. So, and even our, our company is online as well. So it's not in one location. 
That's great. Cause uh, yeah, that's good to know that you take clients. Cause there's a lot of people that ask me like, what dietitian should I start working with? And that's good to know you work with other athletes. Oh yeah. I love working with athletes. I work with all sorts of athletes and that's one of my passions because I came from a fitness background too. Yeah. Oh, what were you doing with your fitness background? Well, I was never an elite athlete like you, but I was a, well, just from a personal training background and I, I was a personal, I'm still a personal trainer, but I was, that's what I was doing hardcore for 12 years. And so, I just, I just love the fitness world. I'd love, I'd love to ask you about that because motivation is a big reason why I think people hire a personal trainer because they need somebody to keep them accountable, but they also need somebody who knows what to do. So what are some tips for staying motivated, either to stay committed to a new lifestyle diet or to stay committed to an exercise program? Well, that's a really important question. And there's a lot of different answers. I think you have to want it. <laughs> and then people are really individualized for that. So let's say, you know, if you have an event to look up to, like some people work well when they have an event, some people work well when they have, like, I know I, I'm going to be on my best behavior when I'm going to be filming, you know, TV show or something. I'm like, I go all out, you know, <laughs> that's what motivates me. But, um, you know, having, you know, going to have a wedding to go to a birthday coming up, you know, it's looking for ex exogenous sources or just external reasons that motivate people. I think that's really good. That's what we do in our company is that we provide the unyielding accountability. We are, we are there, you know, it's like having a coach or having a, you know, a dietitian or, you know, on the, our trainer is that that's really motivating. That's, it is a wonderful, one of the best reasons to hire someone is for the motivation because it's hard to stay the course, you know, doing one event and then, you you know, then it's over and you kind of, you know, maybe get off track is very common. And it's, it's kind of like, that's life, you know, stuff happens and stuff will derail you and then stuff will inspire you. And, but I recommend, you know, if, you know, hiring someone, if you can, of course, for that support, if you lose, if you lose your motivation or signing up for an event that you're looking forward to or finding support, I think peer support is really important. Having, you know, groups, even if it's on social media, you know, I love Facebook for that, where, you know, you can have a whole group and people can just share ideas or when they're having concerns, just having people that, cause if you don't have like me, like look at my own family, my, my own family, my worst support, like the anti-support. But so I have friends and colleagues everywhere that I reach out to for support myself. And I think that, you know, we know from the research that having peers and having support is crucial to long-term success and sustainability. And that's why I, I want people to just try to find their people, find their people, even if it's not next door, even if it's not in your own home, then find them outside because they're out there. And there's a lot of plant-based movement out there. There's a lot of groups, a lot of go to conferences, go to fitness events, go to just whatever inspires you and helps you be around people that are like-minded. It's so empowering. And you just leave, just filled, refilled with love and light for what you want to do. Because if you, you know, especially in the plant-based world, you, I've been doing this for a long time now. And I remember just going out there and I, when I, I'm always fighting, like always fighting with doctor, not fighting, but everyone's like got to, even if I try to not have the conversation, like I really, I go to dinners or lunches with girlfriends or Alex, <laughs> I know a lot of doctors and dietitians and I'm always having, it's like, I try not to talk about it, but it always comes up. They always want to talk about it and pick my brain and how do you do this? And what about protein? And what about, and it just, you know, you start getting depleted a little bit and you just think, well, what if, you know, what if I have to go look that up? You know, if someone asks me some weird question, but when you go back to these people that are all on the same page, they're all seeing these amazing things happen. They've had these life experiences. You know, it's really empowering and it really feels good and it, it re reinvigorates you. And I think being around that energy is really important. Yeah, totally. Like I started a Facebook group called the Plant Powered Tribe and it's just for like 
you don't even have to eat a plant-based diet, but it's just for people who are interested in it. And it does help to have that support around you. And part of the reason I started it was for selfish reasons. So I could have even more people where I can just talk about what I want to talk about. Cause on my like social media as a cyclist, I don't want to inundate people who aren't interested in, in just right. the right amount of balance, but I'm really passionate about it. And when I see an article I like or a video I want to share, or I made a recipe I love, I want to be able to share that with somebody. <laughs> That's awesome. See, that's exactly what you should do. I think that's beautiful. I mean, and then look, you have people, right? And you guys talk and you're excited and you fuel each other. Yeah, there's lots of them too. Like I think that Engine 2 Diet has one as well. And that one is a highly active group too. There's so many out there. It's really exciting. But, and if you don't find one that you can relate to, then start your own like you did. I think that's great. Yeah. Or like even a person, like a lot of times people will hear, oh, plant-based, plant-based, but they're turned off by somebody that they that eats a vegan diet or eat a plant-based diet. So they just immediately shut down. And I was one of those people because like years ago, um, like four years ago, five years ago, I lived in Boulder, Colorado, and I lived there through my 20s. And I didn't like the word vegan. I didn't, I thought vegans were weird. And then I met my now husband and he told me about plant-based diet. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll give this a try. And it's sometimes it's just connecting with the right person that helps you actually hear the message in the right way. Absolutely. And I, I just really encourage everyone also to be real positive because there's so much of that negativity. Like even though, you know, are you vegan enough or are you plant-based enough? Or are you doing <laughs> we just get so ridiculous. And I think that anyone that's trying and trying to do, you know, be better and do better and do what's right for them should be encouraged and supported. And if you feel like attacked or like, just get out. Like I just started running. I don't get into those debates anymore. I don't try to convince anyone to do what I'm doing anymore. I'm, I gave up on that a few years ago. I finally just decided to stop knocking my head against the wall. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be, you know, with people that agree. And if they want my help, I'm happy to help. That's what I want to do, but I'm not going to force anyone. And I'm not going to guilt and shame anyone. And I think that there are people out there. And I think we just, you know, just find your people, find your tribe. I like the name of your page. I have to join it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Awesome. Yeah. And I think that there is a lot of food shaming out there and people like what you said and people that will change their diet or start changing their diet and they'll commit to it for a little while. And then they say, oh, well, like a friend of mine went on, went traveling somewhere and he's like, oh, you know, I've been eating all plant-based, but then I, I wanted to have the ceviche or, or whatever. So I cheated and then they like are confessing to me and I tell them like, that's fine. Like if yeah. you want to do that, that, that's totally fine. And I, I think that it sucks that people feel that the label, the label is what's intimidating to people. Like, oh, I can't call myself plant-based if I, if I'm traveling and I eat this, or if I eat, accidentally eat a cookie that has egg in it or, or whatever. And I, I, it's not about being perfect. It's just about being healthy and making healthy choices as best you can and not shaming ourselves or other people around us. If they want to eat, like if someone wants to eat meat twice a week and they eat plant-based the rest of the time, that's awesome. Absolutely. And I think that that's the number one reason for the recidivism rate. People just say, oh, forget it. I messed up. And they feel so bad about it. When what a waste if you just what? So what if you had ceviche when you're whatever in Spain or whatever? What? Why? Then the next day you get back on and you don't feel bad about it. You go back to making really good decisions. And, it's, and one thing is not going to derail you. By the way, in the Mediterranean diet, you know, people consumed, there were animal products consumed in that diet. And, you know, if you look at the blue zones around the world, all the longest lived populations in the world, they had some animal products, a little bit, but it was mostly plant-based. So I never want someone to look at one meal or one day or one superfood or one horrible food. Yeah. So let's just pick back up. So we were saying that 
it's really important to <laughs> pick back up when your Skype call drops, but also whenever you, if you deviate <laughs> from your diet a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, the more forgiving you are and the more open-minded you are and the more comfortable you are with not being perfect, the longer you can sustain this, the easier you can do this and the better you'll be in the long run. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, I think it's like five to 10% of people in the blue zones diet come from meat. But I think the problem that people face is that they start, if they say, okay, well, I'm going to eat like the people in the blue zones, I'm going to eat five to 10% of my diet from animal products. But it's really hard to actually do that. Because once you start eating that stuff, it's easy to just get back in your old habit and eat more and more of it and just say, Oh, well, I did it last time, I'll just keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, maybe we don't, we don't really know. I mean, we don't know how much you can get away with and you can get away with a lot up until your 40s and 50s. And then all, you know, everything kind of hits the fan. So, you know, you could probably get away with a little if you don't like you were just talking about having a piece of chocolate or having a baked good or something. If you can have a little bit and then move back to the foundation of your diet, you will probably be fine. But like you said, these things are very palatable They're you know, and, and it's habitual. And so it just depends on you and how and how you are with those things. But it is I mean, the odds are in your favor to just get rid of the stuff that tempt you and the stuff that like I know myself. And I, if I start with one French fry, it's all over for me. I will have <laughs> bowls of French fries. Like I can't stop or a vegan pizza. Like I just, so I, you have to know yourself and know your limits and you know, it takes time. Like it just, everyone's different and slightly and everyone's a creature of habit. So usually it takes kind of a jolt to really start this off. And then you find your balance. You find what works for you, but without judgment, I think the most important thing is not to judge yourself and just to every day, just go in there. Every bite matters. Yeah, just do your best. I mean, I think that that's a, a really important thing is just commit to doing your best. And sometimes your best might be not as best as your best yesterday, but just kind of commit to going in that direction. Yes, I agree. I agree. And that's where you see the most sustainability in the the happiest people. The happiest people are the ones that aren't giving themselves pressure and they're just, you know, they're playing with it. And it, it took me so many years to really find this rhythm and to feel really confident with it and be really, you know, it just, it, it takes time. And so, it, you know, let yourself have the journey and, and be aware and, and you will succeed. You can absolutely succeed if you're really open-minded and positive about the whole adventure. Cool. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap this up. Can people pre-order your book? Yes, they can. It's available on Amazon right now. I think it's probably going to be available everywhere. I think we're launching the pre-orders on December 4th. Plant-Based Nutrition Idiot's Guide to E, to, it's like second edition. Not as sexy a title, but I'm really excited about this book. I can't even tell you. I can't wait for it to come out. Are you going to be doing a book tour with it? We are going to do somewhat of a book tour. Yeah, we've got a lot of events and speaking stuff coming up next year. Uh, and we're still planning out what we're going to do in terms of specifically the book. But it is officially available on January 8th or January 9th. January 9th, <laughs> January 9th. And um, yeah, and we're really excited. So I will post where I'm going to be on social media and you can find me on social media, everything and you could link to everything from my website, which is plantbaseddietitian.com. Cool. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. And yeah, if the listeners want to connect with you in person, they should check out your speaking schedule because yeah, it's really powerful to meet somebody in person too. Yes. I love that. I love meeting people that have read the books and I love that. So please, yeah, look for me and I look forward to meeting everyone. And, and thank you so much for having me, Sonia. Thank you. Yeah. And hopefully we can meet in person at some point soon too. I would love that. I definitely would love that. Okay. All right. Take care. That was such a fun conversation with Juliana. She has so much energy and man, 
I really hope that she and I can connect in person and you guys should look for her. She speaks a lot and she also is at conferences and VegFest. So I'm gonna be on the lookout to see if I can coordinate something with her. The holidays are right around the corner. How are you guys doing? Are you staying on track with your goals? Are you allowing yourself to have some treats but then getting back on track? That's always the biggest challenge is not overindulging in the holidays. And something that I try to do to help keep myself on track is to committing to eating a certain number of healthy foods in a day. So saying, I'm gonna eat one cup of legumes, I'm gonna eat salad every single day. And also setting ground rules onto how much of something that you want to eat. So if you wanna allow yourself to indulge a little bit and you wanna have sweets every single day, set a limit on how much you're allowed to have or with drinks, however many drinks you're allowed to have because I find that at least having a rule there will help you make good choices around your food. The holidays can also be tough because sometimes we end up spending time with people that we don't see all year or even maybe family members that we don't really like very much. And that's really common. You're not alone in that battle. But learning how to manage those situations when maybe one of those family members says something to you that you don't really like. Maybe they tell you that you're biking too much and that you should get a real job. Oh, that's happened to me before. <laughs> but you know, the important thing to do is to take a moment Take a moment to breathe and take a few breaths and realize that th that person doesn't need to get to you and they're just trying to help you in the best possible way that they know how. So having empathy around the holidays and trying to understand where your relatives are coming from can help. Sometimes people are just mean, but just being okay with that and just moving on and being reactive doesn't help. It doesn't help to shoot something mean back because that doesn't make you feel good whenever it's all over. At least it doesn't make me feel good. So I like to take a few deep breaths. I like to exercise every day because that helps me. Even if it's 30 minutes of exercise, that can make a difference too in challenging situations. I'm in Sedona right now, and I've been coming here the last few years in December just to get a few days of riding and sunshine. And the desert has a special quality that I really like. I grew up in the desert, but seeing all the different types of rock formations and the color of the dirt and the sky, it's just a really magical place. So I definitely recommend checking out Sedona if you guys can ever swing it. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the show and for sharing it with your friends. It's so awesome how powerful the medium of podcasting can be. And I'm so thankful that you guys are listening and that it's making a difference. So thank you so much for being a part of my community and for listening to the show and for giving me your suggestions. And thanks for connecting on social media as well. I read every single message. I read every single comment and I do respond to your messages. So thank you so much, guys. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures and even your holiday adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.